What is going on, everybody? My name is Gabe. And I'm Matt. And welcome to, a, a, I guess, another, but also a new episode of the Tentacle Bot Podcast. And uh, what we're going to be doing uh, today, um, well, first off, happy April Fool's, as this is airing on April Fool's Day. And uh, we've got something a little uh, little tasty and, and surprise for you. So, uh yeah, uh, th- today we're going to be uh, debuting the kind of like new version of the podcast in which we're going to be going over uh, bands kind of more in their entirety uh, and a little bit more focus and emphasis on kind of like the 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 me- ethos, the, ethos, the, the mythos the around the bands, so the, kind of like more than just a single album that way we can get really who the band is in a full uh perspective yeah and just uh, just in their entire body of work and just their history and we're not going to be just like churning out the details of you know when this year this event happened and this you know we're, we're not going to break down every minute detail but we're definitely going to kind of dig into how the band kind of came to be the entity that they are now and just looking over the entirety of what what they've put out for us exactly looking at influences looking at mm-hmm. Uh, looking at like big events, things that like really began molding them into who they were, and and so forth. But uh, before we get into that, um, let's just just kind of open it up, man. Like, uh, what what have you been listening to lately? So lately, it actually hasn't been a whole lot. It's kind of been a, a small a small portion, I guess, is a good way to explain it. Uh, it's pretty much been a combination of two different albums. Uh, that being the Lifeblood album from Brand of Sacrifice, and then I've actually gone back to Reclaimer by Shadow of Intent. Okay. Um, I think partly because of their new record is it kind of gave me that itch again, and I was like, you know what? I want to listen to something just dummy thick, dumb heavy, and I really found the appreciation that I kind of lost um, for Shadow of Intent once their third record came out. And now with Elegy, is it kind of, like I said, reignite that, reignited that spark. Um, but the other couple of things that I've really been uh, high on is 1056 dropped a new song called okay. Yenta. Um, for those not familiar, and I think I know I've definitely shown you, mm-hmm. but it's uh, I think Aaron, I believe, is his name. The former vocalist of Betraying the Martyrs. It's his new band. Oh my god, it's stupid, stupid heavy. It's that same drop brown note kind of pretty uh, much. Kind of it, it's just <laughs> obnoxious. Dayseeker continues to put out sad boy music, and I did not know that I would just needed that feely music recently. And uh, also carbonized by Northlane, which I have known the name of them for a while, but I just never actually dug into their material. Uh, but been listening to Carbonize and actually dug into a little bit of their older stuff, or not really older stuff, but stuff that's been around a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, found out Northlane's popping a new record out in April, so that's really cool. Um, <laughs> I'm actually really excited for it. Um, what have you been jamming lately? Uh, for me lately, it's been just like a lot of death metal. Uh, like just like a lot of stuff in that era um i've been listening to a lot of cattle decapitation i'm still kind of riding the high from that concert oh absolutely um i got to see cannibal corpse in concert uh a week or two ago now which uh, was super cool um i really enjoyed that it was kind of one of those things that like they were on my list of bands that i've wanted to see because it's it's cannibal corpse man (laughs) yeah no absolutely because that was the show with Whitechapel and shot of intent right correct okay yeah, um, Whitechapel, kind of disappointing just because they didn't play really any of their older stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few songs, like the last four songs of the set, but otherwise it, it was mostly just everything from uh, like The Valley and... Uh, and Kin, the Kin. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, which are fine albums, but I really wanted to go and, and, and see the the 
old chapel that, yeah. I, that I really kind of being missed. able to get kind of get that get, have them scratch that itch for exactly. You. Uh, then uh, Revocation was also playing there, which they were That's were right. really cool too. Uh, I'm not really a huge fan of them on disc, but live they put on a really good show. Okay. Um, but continuing on, uh, I also have been listening to a lot of Jungle Rot lately. Um, really? So we've been uh, we, we mentioned Jungle Rot last year at the end of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. where uh, Dave Matrice, the vocalist for Jungle Rot, had uh, done that feature with uh, Volbeat. Forgot. I forgot. Uh, on Shotgun Blues. That makes sense. And I had known who Jungle Rot was in the past, um, just kind of like hearing the name out there, but I never really listened to him. And mm-hmm. so I finally just took the time to listen to him. And man, I'm hooked. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like, I, I wouldn't call it like, your your normal death metal, mm-hmm. your things like in the vein of death or obituary or yeah. uh, things along that nature, but it kind of is just a lot more groovy. Okay, to it. like they, obviously they still have the fast beats, the the double kicks, the howling growls, and these mm-hmm. weird dissonant chords that they use, but it, it, it's a lot more um, just kind of like a. I, I feel like, and I don't want to say anthemic because that kind of feel like i feel like that gives it the wrong term yeah but kind of just this very um pulsing high drive uh war kind of vibe to it okay which uh which has been really cool and they're going to be putting out a new album in may i believe oh wow and so uh, that's they'll be here up. in june which i will be there hey. <laughs> speaking of um shows coming up uh whitechapel and shadow of intent are coming with as i lay dying mm-hmm. and of sulfur so that's coming up and i Dude, I want to go. I yeah. really want to go to that show. That looks like it's going to be real a really good time. Yeah, that'll be a really cool show. I'm really sad that I'm missing MXPX, Zebrahead, and Bad Cop, Bad Cop this Aww. weekend because I stupidly scheduled a tattoo appointment <laughs> that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So that made me really sad. Um, and then uh, last show that I have uh, coming up just right off the top of my head uh, is uh, Traders is going to be here. Really, I'm so hyped for that Ooh. show. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting exactly who the lineup. It's it's uh, Left to Suffer, Wrist Meat Razor, and um, I'm not saying the other band. It, it's the guy from uh, Dicky Allen, the guy from Infinite Annihilator. His oh, other band. okay, okay. I'm gonna call him Scum Freak because I don't really want to say the uh, the uh, correct name on okay. on, on air. So <laughs> no, that's fair. But um, so that show's coming up as well as there's gonna be a local show that I'll be hitting up uh, up in uh, Prescott, which is a couple hours north. Oh, of that's here. the it's all Grizzly and American Standards, right? Correct. <sighs> Speaking of shows that are a little bit of a drive, is I'm I'm trying to see if I can get the time off, but uh, going down to Tucson for All That Remains doing their 15 year anniversary tour of Fall of Ideals with Miss May I and Tala. Um, and that's that should be a really good show. I think Ferials is, is on. The, Tala is literally the only one that I would want to see on that. No, lineup. Yeah, <laughs> I, I completely, I completely respect that. But I, I think really, the reason I want to go is Fall of Ideals is one of my all-time favorite records, just of all time. That was the gateway into me even listening to the heavy music that I do now, and being able to actually see them play these songs live. And this would be the first time I've ever seen All That Remains live, which disappoints me. And I'm, I'm surprised by that, actually. Yeah, it, honestly, I was actually having a conversation like this with my mom, and this was a few years ago, and I was like, I haven't seen all that remains. She looked at me and was like, have you really? And I was like, no, I'm being dead serious. Like, I haven't just, I haven't had the chance to see them, mm. and she was even surprised by it. I've been listening to them since, like, yeah, late say, junior like, high, high school. Yeah, it's been it's been a while for you. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, with just kind of that out of the way, Matt, why don't you go ahead and 
tell us what we're talking about today. Yeah. So today we are breaking down the history and kind of looking behind the curtain of the entity that is Guar. I feel like entity is the most perfect word that you could possibly it, use. For honestly, that. there really isn't any other way to put it because there's so much to Guar. Um, and just to kind of jump right into it, Guar's story begins in the deepest reaches of outer space. Long ago, the beings who would become the rock band Guar were part of an elite fighting force, the scum dogs of the universe. Um, and that's really the story or the mythos, uh, according to the band's website. Yeah, the the it actually goes a lot further from there, too. And we'll, we'll dive into that um, a, a little bit as well. Um, to, to first off... Guar has had somewhere near 50 members oh, in its easily. lineup. Um, the most current iteration is the Berserker Blothar, who is uh, Michael Bishop. Uh, he is the frontman and vocals. There is the uh, guitarist, if I read somewhere it's pronounced Balsic, but it's spelled Balsack the Jaws of Death, which is Mike Dirks mm -hmm. uh, on guitar. Uh Bassist Beefcake the Mighty. Uh, the current iteration of Beefcake the Mighty is played by Corey Orr. There is dr on drums is Jismac Degusha. Uh, <laughs> these these yeah, names oh, are so hard. So, to, to I, 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 you pronounce that kind of weird. I feel like it's Jismac Degusha. You know what? Fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like these, these names are over the top. Um, also, to go back to Beefcake, did you say Corey Orr? I did say Corey Orr. Okay, yeah. So it's Casey, it's Casey Orr. Orr. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so uh, Jismac Dagusha is Brad Roberts. <laughs> I can't with this. Can't do it. It's so dumb. <laughs> uh, we have uh, another guitarist, Pustulus Maximus. Uh, who is played by, uh, where'd it go? I'm sorry. Brent Perguson. Brent Perguson, uh, thank you. And that's uh, lead guitar and backing vocals. Yes. Um, and notably, all the members do some form of backing vocals mm -hmm. and or sometimes lead vocals as well. Uh, so that, that makes up the core of the main band itself. There's also some additional performers that do um, kind of just, they, they, they obviously stage performance, mm -hmm. uh, as well as like some speaking roles and stuff. We have a bodyguard, Bone Snapper, who was a former slave turned slaver. Uh, Bone Snapper is Bob Gorman. Thank you. Um, <laughs> there, there's uh, so many names. There, there's a lot. Uh, the other two is uh, Sawborg Destructo, mm -hmm. which is played by Matt McGuire. And then. I love this. Their manager <laughs> is uh, Sleazy P. Martini, uh, who is played by Don Dracolich. Or yes. Dra Draculich? Uh, I believe it's Draculich. Yeah, it's uh, something kind of, some were kind of in that pronunciation. And... <clears throat> Like, dude, if these guys, if if Gwar was an actual company, their turnover rate would be stupid high. They have gone through a number of members. They really have. But so that that is the current iteration mm -hmm. of of this. Um, to really understand where they came from, we have to go all the way back to 1984, and that was many years before me and many years before you, yeah, indeed. <laughs> and actually, that's in Richmond, Virginia. Which fun fact is where Lamb of God started. So, fun little That actually tidbit. makes sense, because I know uh, when 
we'll get to this, but when Dave Brocky passed away, mm-hmm. uh, that Lamb of God or uh, Randy Blythe specifically, and uh, yeah, he, that uh, he was definitely commenting on it. Was definitely really heartbroken. Yeah, um, but um, so Gore started out actually as uh, one of uh, Dave Brocky's other band to his current band, Death Picky. Uh, this started out as Death Piggy opening up for itself as barbarians from Antarctica in these over-the-top costumes who would then run out off stage, get out of those costumes, and then get up there and play as Death Piggy. Yep. And uh, just as <laughs> it, it's hilarious. So, and to, to kind of go even just a just a step behind the. Um, you know, kind of, you know, the the opening act in this like jokey side project for Death Piggy. What ended up happening is Hunter Jackson, um, as well as Chuck Varga, uh, Hunter Jackson, or let me let me start this sentence over. Before that, uh, young artist Hunter Jackson, as well as Chuck Varga, were working on a, making a movie titled Scum Dogs of the Universe. And they came out and were looking to work with some sort of a musician. And that's how they linked up with Dave Brocky. Mm-hmm. Um, what would end up happening is they be <laughs> this joke band was Gwarg. And yeah. it, it's really, it's. <laughs> it's so the the, the it, Gwar is a shortened version of Gwar. It it is commonly attributed uh, that Gwar stands for God. What an awful racket! Mm-hmm. The band says, "No, this is not it." Though it's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what ended up happening is. Dave Brocky uh, decided to take these costumes that were being used for Scum Dogs of the Universe and was like, let's wear these and do the shows as this live band from a- Antarctica and have them open up for Death Piggy. And what was happening, uh, and they started noticing, is more people were coming to see the opening band mm-hmm. and just immediately leaving after the set. Um, once they kind of refined everything, is that's really what became the entity of Gwar. Uh, but the uh, Hunter Jackson would end up taking the mantle of Techno Destructo, and then Chuck Vargo would take the mantle of Sexecutioner. <laughs> I lo- the name the names killed me as I was putting the notes together. And so Techno Destructo was the uh, the first iteration of a villain that the uh, group used uh, in their live act, mm-hmm. and uh, Sexecutioner was one of the. Uh, like human slaves that they use, but was viewed more as a member of the band. Yeah. Um, the same can be said for Slimenstra Hyman. <laughs> <laughs> that one killed me. The I hate most, this so much. Dude. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, who was played by Danielle Stamp uh, from 88 to 2000. Um, she did some vocals for it. She mm-hmm. also did just kind of some onstage antics obviously like as a part of their live act but then she also took it a step further and she was doing fire breathing and fire dancing and stuff like that and fun fact about her she holds some records for uh for uh uh both fire eating and uh for uh i think it was like electro play good for her wow good for you uh but yeah so this is the the, the timeline is so convoluted on this yeah so uh The, the early years of Guar are going to be very, very, very all over the place. We have a lot of different members flowing in and out. Mm-hmm. We have the first album called Hell O, mm-hmm. uh, which is arguably the most divisive album that Guar has ever put out. Yeah. Uh, that album came out in... 1988. Thank you. You're welcome. Which was... Um, it was kind of just Guar really... 
starting to set the stage for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, like I said, they had a lot of members flowing in and out. And once that album came out, the only existing member from that album is Dave. Bro- well, was Dave Brocky after it ended? <clears throat> Excuse me. So Dave Brocky was playing Odorous Urungus, and he is uh, by far the most popular and most um, recognizable mm-hmm. character from Guar, as was seen on the Joan Rivers show and Jerry Springer and uh, Red Eye on Fox News and yeah. all those kind of places. Uh, go ahead. What was what was kind of neat about kind of them coming into putting out the Hello record is up to this point, they had just kind of mashed together some songs. They had kind of jammed them and they started kind of refining them into Hello. And then once we get into Scum Dogs is they started like really refining them. So arrangements were moving around, but uh, like Hello really was the first time they had actually recorded music for the Gore entity. Correct. And uh, it was also of note that um, the characters did change in their roles a little bit. Mm-hmm. Originally there was Balsack and there was, Jaws of Death, and they were two separate entities. One played bass, one played guitar. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they became Ballsack, the Jaws of Death. And th- for Hello, I believe uh, it was Ballsack was on bass, and <clears throat> excuse me, Beefcake was on guitar. That sounds right. Yeah. They switched for the rest of everything. So Beefcake okay. has been the bassist going forward, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Ballsack, Ballsack has been. Yeah. The, the guitarist going forward. That contra- the contraption and design of that the ball sack character, I, I it still makes me laugh. One of the coolest of all of them. For, oh, like, for me personally, because absolutely. The, the legs that he uses gives the illusion that his knees are bending backwards, and in reality, his leg is just still straight down. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the concept of their costumes was done really well. Oh, I, I feel like yeah. in terms of like the overall execution on what they're doing, and the utility and usability that they're doing it in, mm-hmm. fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And um, to kind of, it's going to feel like a little kind of jumpy just because there's a lot of different things about them. Yeah, um, a- as we get moving on, the, the, the beginning of Guar is very, as I mentioned earlier, it's very convoluted. Mm-hmm. As we get later on, it gets a lot more streamlined and a lot less confusing. Yeah. The cool thing about once uh, Varga, Brocky, and Jackson all came together is the, uh, or I guess the Varga and Jackson camp mixing with the Death Piggy camp would end up creating what has now uh, infamously become the Slave Pit, which is really the sort of brain behind the designing of not only the characters, but continued improvements and refinements of the perverse extraterrestrial madness that was and really is Gwar. Yeah, and they, they've basically kind of become this like all-around production company for Gwar. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a separate entity that exists outside of Gwar, but that Gwar is really a part of. Yeah. And so there's actually been some really cool stuff that's come out of that. I believe it was Hunter Jackson that um, he kind of went off and started doing his own thing, and he actually makes prosthetics now. So dumb. as a uh, as a result of like learning his craft with the slave pit. yeah and so like th- just that as an example but um the slave pit is really just kind of like their art collective mm-hmm. uh, i believe was the the term that i kept seeing used yeah and that that's that's a really good way of describing it for sure for sure um then we go on uh, we'll we'll jump ahead a few years there's been a number of different changes and we, we end up at Scum Dogs of the Universe, which came out... 1990. 1990. Uh, so Scum Dogs of the Universe 
is arguably their best album mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just like overall popularity and what people want to hear and stuff yeah. like that. Um, famously has the song Sick of You, which honestly is my favorite song by them. Oh, yeah. The no, song's, it's songs a banger front back. And I, I've actually gotten to see these guys live, and it's one it's one of the mainstays of their well, set. Sure. And actually, so a, a fun little tidbit about that. So I actually was able to find a interview that – uh, De- I believe it's Decibel Magazine mm-hmm. um, is the company had done with various members of Gwar and just kind of getting information around the scum dogs of the universe era, and especially for their 30 year anniversary reissue of it back in 2020. And they actually spoke with Danielle Stamp, who, um, again, had played Slemenstra Hyman. Thank you. Um, and she had actually said that the song came from the tour bus because we were so sick of each other and made the <laughs> comment about it's literally uh, art imitating life. And so j- just having that kind of idea there, uh, there was another song. I can't remember the name of it offhand. Um, I can actually pull that up in the interview. But it was based on one of the members was trying to drive the tour bus through New York City and trying to park it. And that's like stupid things like that is what inspired these songs. And so it's really cool getting to see like that far behind the curtain. That is really cool. Um, Featured on this album, we're going to have Brad Roberts at this point, who's going to be on drums as Jismac Dagusha. Dagusha, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mike Bishop is still on bass as Beefcake the Mighty. We have Mike Dirks uh, as Balsack, and uh, he is going to continue being Balsack throughout the rest of this, as is Brad Roberts. Uh, Brad Roberts being Jismac. Um, we also have Dewey Powell, uh, who is on uh, on guitars, and he is uh, going to be uh, uh, Flatus Maximus, who is... Uh, I'll, I'll cover him in a second. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, uh, Dave Brocky mm-hmm. uh, on vocals uh, on vocals um also in here uh, and this is also seen in the uh, music video for our so sick of you we have daniel stamp as slim and hyman who was obviously a part of that mm-hmm. uh and uh sex executioner um was also a part of that as well that's fantastic uh so flatus maximus hasn't come up yet he was part of the original uh crew and we'll we'll, we'll get to what happens to him in a little bit um but so he, he was part of the original crew uh <laughs> his home planet is obscured because he says that it was just a giant ball of weed and he destroyed his home by smoking all of the weed. <laughs> I love that so much, dude. It gets worse. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. His diet consisted of solely vegetarians. Which led to his atomically bad gas. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like at this point, since we have kind of like our our mainstay characters for the most part, mm-hmm. it's a good time to kind of bring up what they uh, kind of like looked like. Mm-hmm. So, um, Odorous Yorgos, the lead singer, Dave Brocky, he had this very meaty, fleshy, drippy kind of looking face. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's the embodiment of like 2008 MySpace deathcore bands that you couldn't read. Yeah, uh, like if you were to slap that on a face, that was what Odorous Yorgos' face looked yeah, like. Yeah, that's a really good description. Uh, there's a few iterations that happened over history, but ultimately it landed on uh, four prongs out of his head, mm-hmm. uh, giant armor for shoulder pads. Uh, eventually his one arm grew into like this tentacle kind of thing. I, I don't really understand that part of it. <laughs> um, and then uh, most famously, 
his uh, cuttlefish of Cthulhu, which represented his penis. I'll get into that in a second. Yep. <laughs> um, we have uh, Flatus, Flatus Maximus had uh, dinosaurs on his shoulder pads. So uh, I believe it was uh, a couple of triceratops heads uh, that was hanging off on the side. And that would kind of evolve from being like a fleshy dinosaur head to just a dinosaur skull. Mm-hmm. Um, his face mask kind of uh, epitomized that of what Guar would feel a Cro-Magnon would look like. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, just kind of again, like the the really large chest plates, loin cloths, but very exposed legs. These guys yeah. like to show their butts a lot. Mm-hmm. Whatever, <laughs> to each their own, man. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, Slimester Hyman was kind of. I feel like the best way to put it was to think of any like scantily clad video game character. Yeah, it's almost like and uh, then induce them with meth. Yeah, and it's also kind of reminded me of the design of some of like the uh, female companions in Skyrim. Um, and the, the okay. kind of very like Vi- it, the, the armor looks Viking esque or like very Viking influence. And th- th- that's dripped through quite a bit and a lot, mm-hmm. some of the, just the lore of war, but like it was a lot of that. I was getting vibes from, from all the female characters that I had seen very much. So mm-hmm. um, moving on, we have uh, Mike Dirks as Balsack, the jaws of death. And that, uh, we kind of brought this up before, but like he has these goat legs that look like they're bent backwards Mm -hmm. that are actually not bent backwards. It's just his legs standing straight. Yep. Again, really large shoulder pads, loincloth, chest plate. And then uh, his head resembles uh, the bear trap, yeah. like a, a bear trap that's um, kind of kind of open. And the really cool thing about his armor, and it's kind of evolved. I think it's really just the evolution over time. And you actually see this in the guitar. And I thought this was a beautiful touch. But it looks like um, kind of volcanic rock, but it almost <laughs> like the volcanic rocks crack. So you see the lava coming through, mm-hmm. and that's brought into the the guitar. So it's it's just like a continuation of the character, and just keeps everything really in flavor. Very much so. Uh, Michael Bishop as Beefcake the Mighty is uh, just the best way to put it would be to think of a really puffy Roman centurion. That's a really good way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's not Uh, much else there. Beefcake's backstory is he's from the planet Cholesterol. (laughs) Yeah. God, what, I, I looked at the bio for this guy, and it was the stupidest thing I had ever seen, and I loved every second yes, of it. Yes, his height is one CB, cubic beefcake. Uh, his weight is verging on collapsing into a black hole due to immeasurable mass. Uh, can't ask him his age, because that's really rude, apparently. Um, and basically everything he likes to do has to do with eating. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, it, according to the uh, mythos on the Gwar website, uh, on dates, he likes to eat his date. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, for Brad Roberts as uh, Jizmag Dagusha, he has um, always, he's always been the least clothed uh, Gwar character in terms of like their overall costumes, just due to the fact that Obviously, as the drummer, he can't limit his, his right. drumming capabilities. Uh, the head mask is always representative of this kind of like giant, nasty, gnarled dog. And I, I like to think of um, the, those terrible CGI dogs from uh, the original Hulk movie. Oh, yeah. What was it? It was the Hulk, right? I think that sounds right. Yeah. So terrible. It was utterly god awful. Hot garbage. 
like I don't like the I don't like the Incredible Hulk either. Just full disclosure, and this mm-hmm. is going way off topic, but that first one is so abhorrently offensive. I'm gonna end it there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, his, his drums always just have like some versions of eyeballs or skulls or brains mm-hmm. on them and stuff like that. Except for uh, uh, at various points, he's had varieties of obscenities scribbled on him. Yeah, it's these these costumes are fantastic, and I feel like now would ki- since we're kind of in the in the topic of the characters, I feel like really we can't talk about Gwar without talking about their live shows and i think i think that i feel like this is the best time to take that tangent and i can i can speak from personal experience because i've gotten to experience this it is an it's unbelievable doesn't (laughs) seem to like give it give it the credit i'm really excited because i'm actually going to be seeing them in two months (laughs) it's fantastic so uh, really, what they do, it, and I'll, I'll be completely honest, is if you're faint of hearted, like this is not the thing for you. Uh, but what they've, they actually, but before you, before you go on this, I, I feel like it needs to be said, kind of the fullness of their backstory. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that they're, uh, they were the scum dogs of the universe yeah. from another planet, where they were under the rule of the master. Yes, they were banished for doing. Uh, I've seen two different things. I've seen for doing horribly unspeakable things. Mm-hmm. And for eating too many cheesy burritos and making a mess of the place. I just heard that they were, um, you know, not to quote them exactly on their uh, page, but they were uh, big screw-ups and they were banished to uh, go and do the, uh, as it says... They, they, they had to basically conquer a, a worth, worthless place in order to earn their way back. Yep, and it's in the dark corner and the, the one spot that it was is planet Earth. Planet Earth, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so they crash landed here way back when. They were the reason the dinosaurs went extinct, and then they decided to have sex with apes, and that's what made humans. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, furthermore, um, Beefcake the Mighty is the one who created music mm-hmm. by stretching dinosaur guts across the Grand Canyon and plucking them, and uh, then they became frozen in ice for a millennia in Antarctica until they were released, and we'll get to that release. In a few minutes. Yes. Now, w- w- with that in mind, with that kind of just, I feel like chaos theory is, is the best way to mm-hmm. put it. Um, go ahead and, and talk about their live shows, Matt. Yes. So <laughs> the number one band of Antarctica, uh, really what they do is, while on stage, is they're very much famous for their beheadings and sacrifices and other mutilations of sorts. No and a one lot is of safe. It, no one. Um, they have t- picked a n- number of notable um, people. So that includes every American president since Ronald Reagan, Lady Gaga, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Paris Hilton, and many, many more. My favorite was when they actually threw the real version of Jerry Springer. They <laughs> threw him into the world maggot in one of their shows. That, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's it's unbelievable the things they do um and what is very very prominent uh is the spraying of blood urine and semen throughout the entirety of the show um and i I need to find the pictures but 
I had gone and wore a plain white shirt and white shorts to the show because I knew I was going to get blasted. And I'm just covered in just red and green. <laughs> it, it was an absolute riot. And the, looking at my roommate, he was completely covered. He was super close to the front. And because he was singing along to the song, he got a bunch of it in his mouth. So, <laughs> so he smiled. And it was just red and green. It was yeah. the funniest thing. But I, if I remember correctly, Blothar which is one of the characters we hadn't really given a de- uh, description for. He, he comes a bit later. He, he is the current <clears throat> vocalist yes. for Gore. Um, so a good way to describe him is he's got some kind of, it's almost BDSM meets Viking kind of armor on him. And mm-hmm. attached to his back, it looks like these giant deer antlers. Um, he's got this like mutilated pig face with horns out, coming out of the side. He carries a shield and two very prominent penises. It's and actually four. Oh, cool. Four very prominent yeah, penises. Th- th- there's two above, a sideways vagina, and two below. Yep. And so pretty much what happens Again, is... Again, not for the fan of heart. These yeah. guys are very vulgar, very toilet humor. Mm-hmm. It, it, <laughs> like, it's only going to get worse it, from here. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it's very much worse. And like it immediately is... Blothar comes up on stage and he grabs one of the penises and it's just spraying. It, the, mm-hmm. the crowd's getting blasted. And I, I think the show had been on maybe three minutes and everybody was getting blasted. Like yeah. they, they hold, there is no holds barred with these guys. And um, th- that's really what they're known for. And really the reason why they've been claimed as shock rock. Yeah. So uh, aside from, they're obviously vulgar lyrics and just kind of overall vulgar set pieces, really. Yeah, vulgar set pieces, vulgar lyrics, vulgar just kind of concept. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- th- these guys took really so a- as rock and heavy metal goes. Like around that time, I-, I feel like the one of the biggest underground ones was like the Mentors, mm-hmm. which were the hate these guys so much <laughs> uh they they were most often seen with like black executioner hats um there's the uh bit where the i think he's the lead singer of it uh il duce mm-hmm. um where he claims to have been a part of kurt cobain's murder and he, if you want have any concept on who this guy is just watch the jerry springer interview on shock rock because mm-hmm. they, they they bring in him uh, some other girl and uh, a couple members from Guar. This man is utter trash. If he wasn't already dead, I'd bring him back to life so I can hit him again with the, yeah. uh, with a train because that's how he died was a train. <laughs> Fitting for this man, yeah. he, he is an utter piece of garbage. Uh, well, like I'm not getting into it. <laughs> if you want to learn more about El Duce and how I feel on him, just look him up. Yeah, he he is just utter trash, and that's all I'm gonna say on it. Uh, so that being said. Guardo was, was kind of able to take it a step further. And whereas the mentors really kind of were the shock rock side of things with their extremely vulgar and extremely disgusting lyrics and stuff like that, and kind of trying to emanate that they live the lifestyle of their lyrics, mm-hmm. Guar did so in a very comedic way. Yeah. And so where they obviously they were trying to shock people because like that that's part of their pull, that's part of their gimmick. Mm-hmm. But it really kind of set itself apart because everything that they were talking about and everything that they did in their shows was very obviously in a humorous 
manner. Yeah, and there so was a whether, lot of political satire, and there was a lot of the, the songs that had some sort of root in actual current events. Yeah, so whether it, it was current events with a uh, with politics, with like countries, mm-hmm. um, their concept behind America must be destroyed, which we'll get into here in a second. Um, uh, religion, now, like th- there was no subject, no matter what side of the aisle you're on on any of those subjects, that was safe. Mm-hmm. If you were a Republican, you were going to hate some of the things they said. If you're a Democrat, you're going to hate some of the things they said. If you're a Christian, if you're an atheist, if you're a, I don't, I don't know, I, uh, if you're uh, any other sort of divisive mm-hmm. thing, you're going to be offended by something yeah. that they said. Unless you just take it at face value and realize, hey, these guys are just here to bring some entertainment. They're going to be funny. Yeah. And that, that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, that's really it. Like you, there there's so much that they they have in there that could be taken as offensive. That if you don't go into it knowing that it's all for a joke, like you're you're in for a bad time. Yeah. So that all being said, here we are in 1990. The setting is North Carolina. Uh, so Guar puts on a show in North Carolina, and at the end of the show, uh, th- this story has been recanted in a number of different interviews. But uh, basically, the North Carolina Police Department comes in and brings them all off stage, and they arrest Dave Brocky uh, and threaten to deport him because of his cuttlefish of Cthulhu. <laughs> So that th- that is the uh, the official version of the story. Okay. The real version of the story, as told by Odorous Urungus, is uh, they come in and say that they enjoy the show, mm-hmm. and uh, they want to take him back to the police station to do some crack, and so naturally he follows. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I I, for- I forgot to come back to this part. Hold on. So pause on crack. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Pause on crack because that's a very important part of the story yes. here. Uh, so, how Gore came out of Antarctica was Sleazy P. Martini, while outrunning the American, uh, while fleeing America on drug cases, uh, crashed his helicopter into Antarctica, and the sunlight flashed off of his gold blingy jewelry into the ice and melted it out. And melted all of Guar out. Guar then proceeds to want to kill him, but then Balsack says, no, wait, he could be an ally for us. And so Sleazy P. Martini gives him some crack. They get hooked immediately, and he says, okay, I'm going to make you guys rock stars. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, that is Guar mythos. Yeah. No, I, that's... <laughs> Dude. Flashback forward to where we paused on crack. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes back with them, blacks out as a result of this crack mm-hmm. and then wakes up to find the cuttlefish of Cthulhu gone. Uh, and he says that it was uh, severed mercilessly by a, uh, a laser saw that the uh, police department had. Okay. Uh, he managed to grow the cuttlefish of the Cthulhu back. The uh, other one is still out there somewhere. Uh, it is possibly at this point grown to uh, what is Godzilla sizes, according to Odorous Urongus. Uh It was held by the uh, North Carolina Police Department for some time. It was held by Tipper Gore for some time, because Tipper Gore was obviously a, she was the head of the PMRC, which is the basically the people who tried to get censorship on lyrics. Oh, okay. I, I did a report on that. They're Karens at best. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, but so like obviously he has to make the dig at Tipper Gore because she's just a obnoxious woman 
that's understandable. So she held it for a while, and then it's disappeared and, and likely living in the ocean at mm-hmm. this point, probably a Marianas Trench. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so all of those events led to the kind of inspiration behind America Must Be Destroyed, which was their 1992 album. Uh, personally, for me, this one is my favorite album solely for the fact that we get the mythos of Gorgor in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gorgor is their giant dinosaur that was uh, their pet slash villain for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I like dinosaurs. <laughs> you really do love dinosaurs. <laughs> I really wasn't a big fan of that record. I ended up listening through it once, and I was just kind of... Yeah, I, I'm on a. I, I should preface this. I'm not a fan of Gore's music whatsoever. It, it, it's no. one of those things that you really are there for the imagery. You're there for the kind of thematic elements behind all of mm. this. You're there for the show. The music is just kind of a, a byproduct, and that, that's really kind of what today's show is really about. Mm-hmm. It, it's really talking about how Gore's creation. Yeah. Um, while music is adjacent to it the music was just kind of there to give itself a platform yeah. to do what they do now. So I feel like, if you don't mind, we there's a, like a decent kind of section to kind of just jump into really a breakdown. This is actually going to kind of become relevant towards, you know, just kind of what Gwar is. Um, so Dave Brocky was a punk musician. Uh, really what happened is Gwar is a punk band that's trying to do metal. And that that's... And it was during the in the decibel uh, interview that it was, I believe it was Mike Dirks. Yes, Mike Dirks was not a metal musician whatsoever. No. Um, so it was really them, these you know, very punk musicians trying to do metal, and you, the the punk bleeds through very very strongly in their sound. Um, and again, you know, kind of go, I actually said this to Gabe before we started recording is I had a hard time listening to the music and it's for one of two reasons, or it could actually be both. The first one is, is it's the shock rock doing exactly what the shock rock's supposed to do, which is shock and rock and (laughs) stupid. (laughs) I know. And no, or number two. Because I have seen them play live and actually have the big theatrical performance in the live set is I can't really appreciate the music for what it is because I don't have that visual component. Um, But it's very much a musically, they're very much a thrash metal punk rock crossover band. You hear a lot of the thrash metal in the riffs and in in some of the other instrumentals and some of the vocals, but you also get just as much of the punk out of every aspect of it. So it's a very, very strong blending of the two. Yeah, and that's also not to pigeonhole them in just those kind of, that realm too, because I mean, they really have done everything. Like, Mm -hmm. they have kind of your more classic rock uh, kind of vibes, especially a lot on their newer stuff. Yeah. Um, They have done weird island bossa nova kind of weird stuff mm-hmm. they have done a little bit of surf a little bit of kind of like game show stuff with slotorama yeah. uh it's just kind of like things all over the place i like like you said they kind of live in that like punk metal thrash mm-hmm. conglomerate yeah i feel like is the best way to put it um but they they really have kind of just branched out into everything because they could yeah and no, because absolutely. it fit the it fit the mode of the concept of guar rather really than fit the aesthetic it, it, exactly mm-hmm. it, it was more about fitting the music to the look and appeal of them mm-hmm. as opposed to fitting the look and appeal of them to the music yeah 
And uh, I, I was actually watching an interview uh, with, with um, uh, it was Mike Dirks, Brad Roberts, uh, Mike Bishop, and I'm forgetting who the other person was, and I really am sorry about that. Um, but basically, it was them just kind of talking about like, yeah, we could get up there and be guys in jeans and t-shirts and just kind of play music or we can really put on a show to entertain. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they also kind of led into like how Guar just can't open for people anymore because who can follow an act like Guar? No. Like Metallica could take them out. Yeah, on tour, it could be just Guar and Metallica. It, it, weird mashup, I know, but I'm just... For an example, yeah. Because they, I, I feel like they cross over in the same wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And Metallica would have to open for Guar. They would because, have, yeah. Because there's no way that an act can follow Guar and keep a crowd that entertained and that riled up and that interested. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I feel like that just kind of speaks to the kind of who they are and, yeah. and how they kind of began moving forward, especially at, at this point in time. So, so Scum Dogs had come out, and that was super popular. America Must Be Destroyed, again, super popular, just kind of on the heels of Scum Dogs in the universe. And then we go into This Toilet Earth, which released in 1994. Bro, that opens up with an absolute slapper of a song, Sadama Gogo. <laughs> that song's fantastic. It really is. Uh, so this one was surrounded by a lot of controversy. So at this point, uh, Guar had, from Scumdogs of the Universe forward, Guar had signed with Metal Blade Records. Mm-hmm. Metal Blade Records at this time was the metal home for bands that were a part of a, sub- that basically, basically they were a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers wanted to give them this super huge deal. They wanted to give them like extra money for, uh, the, this album for the next album they were going to be doing um, uh, it was Skull Headface, I believe was the uh, the the movie that they wanted to make. Scum Dogs of the Universe. No, so they they had done that one already. Oh, oh okay. okay. Uh, this one came afterwards. I, I think it's Skull Headface or something like that. Sorry about that. I had to confirm. It is Skull Headface. Uh, so that was the movie that they were trying to uh, trying to produce at the same time. They did end up producing it, just obviously without the significant budget that they would have had mm-hmm. if Warner Brothers had taken them on. Right. Uh, all the controversy centered around one song on the album called BDF. I will not go into what this song is about because it is vile, disgusting, terrible, and I don't want to. I don't know. Get taken off the internet somehow. That seems that seems reasonable. <laughs> I don't want this this soundbite information to ever be isolated in case I ever do something of any importance ever. Fair. <laughs> that is a reasonable reason not to talk about it. So that being said, it, it is um it is a very vile song, but it, it's very in Guar character. Mm-hmm. But the Warner Brothers said, if you want to do this, if you want us to have any part of this record whatsoever, this song has to come off. So they had hugely deep discussions on it. They went back and forth. They talked about, uh, they talked back and forth with Metal Blade on it. Metal Blade was in support of them, and they ultimately said no. And so Warner Brothers severed them. They ripped up their contract, and Metal Blade separated from Warner Brothers as a result of it, which is why Metal Blade is separate as it is today. Yeah. Which. I didn't know that. I didn't know Gore was a part of that. I thought that was super cool because Metal Blade has some really phenomenal, dope. phenomenal artists on it. They do, and I, I just thought that was such a 
Just one of those things that you never would have known. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, but so as a result of this, this kind of led to kind of, um, uh, I don't want to call it like a, a downhill uh, trend, but mm-hmm. it ultimately led to kind of a downhill trend for them because they weren't really able to do as much mm-hmm. uh, in interim years. Uh, they still did quite a few albums in those kind of interim years. Um, they uh, released this Toilet Earth, obviously, uh, Ragnarok came afterwards, and uh, <laughs> this one had my favorite uh, kind of just stories behind it, just because Techno Destructo had, I, I believe it was Techno Destructo, the, their main villain at that point, or yes, at that point, uh, had convinced them that it was not 1996 for their for their tour. It was not 1996. It was 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why the tour in 1996 was called Ragnarok and Roll 1999. <laughs> and so that the end of the world was coming and they had to do something about that. And the, uh, the because it was a comet that was going to be coming to destroy. Mm-hmm. That comet was Cardinal Sin, S-Y-N, which okay. became a, a villain later on. And it's the only time that they ever, well, not in show, but I believe it was in a video game that Odorous and uh, Techno Destructo actually teamed up and fought Cardinal Sin. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's the only time, apparently, that they teamed up. Um, also, I don't know if we mentioned this. Techno Destructo was part of the uh, Scum Dogs of the Universe with Master, and mm-hmm. Master had sent them, sent him to uh, bring them back or That's destroy them. I, the timeline got a little convoluted mm-hmm. for me during my research. <laughs> it it just keeps getting better. Yeah, it, it just it, keeps getting better. <laughs> we're, we're we're just trying to like also kind of just like just kind of briefly overcap this kind mm-hmm. of stuff just because there is so much and we can't do 20 different album reviews no. over the course of an hour and a half or whatever, however yeah. long this ends up being. Um, so after uh, after Ragnarok came, uh, they released their sixth album in 1997 called Carnivals of Chaos. And this was their longest album that they had recorded. It had um, Stamp's solo numbers, so Daniel Stamp, Danielle Stamp, who was uh, Slimenstra Hyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had her own solo song. We have uh, Hunter Jackson returning as uh, Techno Destructo uh, with, and singing on a song called The Private Pain of Techno Destructo. And there is an entire ballad entitled Sammy, which is about the rotting corpse of Sammy Davis Jr. Because of that needed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um... The, the, I, I I couldn't with this one. I just kind of stopped at this point. Yeah, I no, listened I, to some later stuff, but like yeah, the, the, these metal years, I'm just like I I can't keep doing this to it, myself. It, it was it was at this point, it, it got really hard to try and keep, like keep kind of moving forward and listening to the other stuff. And I was actually having a conversation about Gwar just with my roommate because he's the one who introduced me, and we were just kind of talking about some of the history. And he was just like, "Yeah, Scumdogs in the Universe is their best album." Mm-hmm. And then I think he said their the second best in his opinion was Violence Has Arrived, uh, which was their record that released on two in two thousand one. Correct. Yeah. So after Carnivals of Chaos, there was We Kill Everything, uh, which was also really bad. It had some terrible songs on it along the line of BDF. Mm-hmm. I like the album cover though. You know, it kind of had like this cool, it, like it was the Gore letters, but kind of had like this like Aztec kind of look to it. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Uh, but yeah, then Violence Has Arrived came out in 2001. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of began a, a revival for uh, Guar, really. Yeah. 
let me pull up the album artwork because there's one of the albums that I absolutely loved. Um, yeah, well, while you're doing that, um, Violence Has Arrived kind of really ushered back in more kind of this thrash metal. Like those interim albums were kind of a lot more experimental mm-hmm. and got kind of weird. This one really just kind of went back straight thrash and punk on it. Yeah. So uh, it was actually Violence Has Arrived. Um, the, I, I love the album art for this one because it literally looks like how the characters would look like in an actual story or like how the, yeah. the characters are actually supposed to look. So being able to kind of look at that, it was a really, really cool thing. And I think they, they had done it for a number of their other records, but just being able to see more in detail, like this is what the characters are supposed to look like. Very much so. Um, violence has arrived kind of also just marked that Dave Brocky kind of moving forward just as the dominant voice of the band again. And with Dave Brocky being kind of just like at the forefront of the band again, it kind of like had that scum dogs of the mill, scum dogs of the millionaire. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> years are starting to starting to not go so well yeah, anymore. Eh? I, honestly, I feel like that was a missed opportunity for them when Slum Dog Millionaire came out. They should have done Scum Dog Millionaire. I feel like that would have been a fantastic PR campaign for them. Boy, anyway, I'm disappointed. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, as, as we keep moving forward here, so that was, uh, Violence Has Arrived in 2001. We have War Party, uh, War Party, my goodness. Good we have Lord. War Party in 2004, Beyond Hell in 2006, and Lust in Space in 2009. Uh, take a brief pause here at 2009. Uh, this also marks the first GWRBQ, uh, which is now a sort of yearly festival, mm-hmm. uh, given just like recent times and however things kind of flowed out. But basically, it was just started as a gore concert, some friends, and barbecue, and turned into just a general rock festival. Yep. Which sounds like a blast. I want to go at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's going to include, uh, and I actually have a note on it here, uh, it's going to have live music, barbecue, vendors, there's even a haunted house. Um, oh, that's that you cool. can get blood split, sprayed on at you. Naturally. And uh, something additional that they actually have is a Gwar Bar, which was actually opened in 2015, uh, which was started by... Mike Dirks. Mike Dirks, yes. Um, yeah. so it's basically th- just, just a gore thing. A couple bar. of cool <laughs> cool little things just off to the side for them, which we actually have a lot more to cover, but we'll, we'll wait a little bit. For sure. Uh, after 2009, they released Bloody Pit of Horror in 2010, and uh, in 2013, Battle Maximus. And uh, we, we kind of glossed over those metal years there. There's just, there's so much information about Gwar, and we could, if we were to genuinely sit down and break this apart piece by piece, we would be sitting here for a couple hours. A easy. And I want to go to bed. <laughs> Uh, but so in reality, like if you want to learn a lot more about those, um, the Wikipedia articles that I'm referencing a lot, they have a lot of great references to actually not just be a Wikipedia article and you can mm-hmm. actually pull the information from the original references, which is what I've been doing to corroborate the information that I'm going over. But um, it consi- consolidates it, makes it nice and concise and easy to read. If you want to read about the mythos behind those individual albums mm-hmm. and the individual tours that happened with those albums that then continued on the story. Yeah. 
Uh, one of the big notable things, um, just to kind of backtrack from the the year 2013 that Gabe had uh, referenced, uh, back in 2011, Corey Smoot, uh, who was the lead guitarist who had play, uh, portrayed Flatus Maximus since 2002, uh, was found dead, um, and at least according to the Wikipedia article, uh, was found dead by his fellow band members in the band's tour bus as they prepared to cross the border into Manitoba, Canada from North Dakota. Um, and the cause of death was stated to be a coronary artery thrombosis brought about by his pre-existing cor- wow uh, coronary it, artery <laughs> disease. My brain shut down super hard. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for going back to that. I actually do have yeah. stuff on that as well. Um, yeah. So that that was a very unfortunate tragedy that they mm-hmm. had, and unfortunately won't be the last. Um, but at that point in 2011. With, with Smoot passing, they decided to retire the character of Flatus Maximus. Yeah, just as a uh, respect for Smoot him, uh, as a whole. Which e- Exactly. Which uh, then from there, from there we have Brent Perkison enter the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brent is their current other guitarist, along with Mike Dirks, uh, who took on the mantle of Postulus Maximus. Yeah. Which, part of the same uh, family, Postulus, he's... Gross <laughs> is the best way to put it. So according to uh, Gore's official website, um, his home planet is crust. Uh, his height is tall enough. Weight is titanic. Uh, disease is contracted. Is uh, everything except for childhood obesity and the bird flu. He enjoys being unhappy, ripping guitar, making others... Min- Miserable. Um, yeah, and he, he really likes butt stuff, and we're just gonna leave. Yeah, it well, that. yeah, I was, I, I <laughs> had to stop for a second. Uh, he dislikes having a good time. Yes, he enjoys killing for spite, and uh, one of my favorite things of his hobbies that he does outside of just like you know hoarding gar- guitars, drugs, alcohol, that jazz. Um, he likes searching for the remains of the Ramones to add to his corpse puppet collection. Yeah, and you know what? I respect it. <laughs> <laughs> this and the character, I really, it, this this is kind of a hard character to describe. The easiest way that I can kind of explain it is, it looks like almost mammoth skulls on his shoulders. So that's exactly what it is. Okay. It's, uh, so it, it, to kind of carry on the legacy of Flatus Maximus while still being its own entity, um, that's kind of why he has, instead of the dinosaur heads, he has the next era. He has oh. the, the mammoth skulls. He still has like these giant feet that he puts on, the loincloth, and the kind of skull that sits upon his head. Mm-hmm. His uh, face has this little pustule covered kind of mask looking yeah. thing. Um, but I- I- if you were to stick this guy and Flatus Maximus next to each other, they would look brotherly in terms mm-hmm. of the Gwar character universe. Yeah, that may- it, which makes complete sense. So, uh, yeah, 2011, and I thank you for that. Yeah, uh, no, you're good. Dude. Brings us back, moving forward into 2013 with Battle Maximus. Battle Maximus, unfortunately, was the last album that we would have with David Brockie. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, in 2014, David Brockie was discovered by another band member, uh, who, and he had uh, it was confirmed to be he had passed away of a heroin overdose. Uh, which was extremely unfortunate. Um, it was something that kind of really showed the effect that Guar had. Mm-hmm. Um, since 84 to, to 2014, I mean, that's 30 years at that point of, of David Brockie and him doing Guar and 
believe it was 50 years old at the time of his passing. Yes, 50. Um, so we, we saw the entire metal community just kind of reach out. Uh, we mentioned Randy Blythe yep. uh, kind of bringing it up, but just like everybody coming out and showing their appreciation. And I feel like this is a good point to kind of talk about the effect that Gore had yep. over the course. So obviously 30 years is nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, most bands haven't made it that long no. to begin with because I mean, Metallica released uh, Kill 'Em All in... Night... 82, I believe. 82. So, realistically, these guys have been around just as long as Metallica has, mm. save a few years. Yeah. Obviously, between that first album, there's like a eight-year or six-year difference. Yeah. But just kind of using Metallica just as, as an example here, like, obviously, Metallica was kind of the forefront of metal, regardless of how you feel about them, how I feel about them. <laughs> um, it just regardless how you feel about them, you cannot deny that they had some form of influence on metal as we know it. Oh, absolutely. They really kind of pioneered the forefront. They put metal out into the spotlight. They were there. There's so many things that you can attribute to Metallica, mm-hmm. and really, realistically, the same thing can be said for Guar. Like you can attribute so much of this gimmickry mm-hmm. that we see in metal today. To Guar. Yeah, a couple it, of bands just as kind of a, and, and you know, we we may not have had it confirmed that it was, but bands like Slipknot, bands mm-hmm. like Necrogoblicon, like some bands with that kind of like gimmicky imagery mm-hmm. is, the, you can really attest that to Guar because Guar was really the first to have done it to that capacity. Yeah, ba- basically these guys were kind of what mayhem was to the black metal scene mm-hmm. to just... The rest of the metal scene because nobody yeah. cared about about black metal. <laughs> no, they didn't. But like like you mentioned there, like Slipknot, they had a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goblicon, they've got a gimmick. Alestorm has a gimmick. Lordy had basically the same gimmick. Yep. As as uh, as Gore did. Like there, there's so many different people, and they're, they're, that's small side tangents. One of the things that metal gatekeepers tend to say that they don't like as people with gimmicks when in reality that's like all metal is is a gimmick i'm gonna i'm not gonna go down that tangent further but that is a that's an episode just in itself it it really is but we have guar as this just kind of general entity that really changed the face of what boundaries could be pushed and obviously i feel like they personally crossed some lines for me mm-hmm. and some other people might not feel that same way about those same things and like that's kind of the beauty of guar is they might have some lines that they felt guar crossed that i don't feel like they crossed mm-hmm. and so on so but it really kind of helped shape that and metal music in general and and has always kind of had this really boundary pushing kind of concept to it yeah and whether that's musically or lyrically or uh, a showman like they, it's just kind of one of those things that you always push the boundaries. And I feel like bands like War really kind of helped solidify that. Yeah. And really just kind of made that, I guess, the, I guess acceptable would be the best way to put it. Because, yeah. I mean, obviously, Metallica pushed the boundaries musically. Mm-hmm. They didn't push things really lyrically. I mean, most of their lyrics are pretty tame in, in yeah. comparison with most things. Oh, yeah. Um, there, there's obviously a few things that they cross weird lines on um but they didn't cross it in terms of like their overall show like it's just four guys flipping their hair yeah it's just a bunch of dudes and like if you go back to a lot of the live live shows of metallica as it was 
guys in, you know, T-shirts or tank tops and skinny jeans just sitting there yelling at the crowd and playing mm-hmm. fast riffs. Like, it's just, it just seems like, it, it was almost like the, you know, just Joe Schmo from down the road. Like, they just, there wasn't anything that really made him stick out visually. And, and the same can really be said, like, it doesn't have to just be Metallica. You can insert any band here. You can insert Slayer. Slayer. Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. Anthrax. Uh, we can go into different realms and like talk about the Ramones, mm-hmm. Bad Brains, uh, Sex Pistols. Like it doesn't matter who you were to input there. Like they just didn't quite push the boundaries like Gwar did. Yeah, and I don't know that Gwar was really the first to do it, but they're definitely the most popular and yeah. definitely the ones who made sure that everyone knew about it. Yeah, which is why Gwar is just kind of this. I guess just kind of I don't want to say household name, but I feel like metal house. It's it's definitely a household name name of some extent, and I think metal household name. I think metal and rock probably mm-hmm. would be would be a good um, you know kind of categorization. Like, but if I you feel have like, some form of costume kind of gimmick, mm-hmm. your roots can be traced back to Gwar. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like that's not that that's something that can't be uh, downplayed at all because. No. Yes, Gwar is over the top. They're silly. They're comedic. They're gross. But they, they're just really no matter what you want. Like they, they, there is every word in the dictionary to describe these guys. Yeah. And you can hate the ever-loving guts out of them, but you cannot deny that they had something to do with your favorite gimmicky band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and it's you know there's even even though you hate the band you have to give them the respect that the, you know really the band deserves like I mean like they they're still going after 30 years they're about to put a new record out later this year yeah they're um, almost on 40 years now mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so they're, like they they've been around for for so long and uh actually reading i think it was actually from the decibel thing is like they really don't make money doing what they do is like, they're going around doing these tours, doing these huge shows. And they're just like, we, we don't make money. Like, it's cool that we've gotten spotlight on Beavis and butthead, Mm -hmm. like stuff like that. But it's like, that's not putting money in our pocket. So it's like, you have to respect the hustle and just the grind that they've gone through. Absolutely. And all that to really go say that Dave Brocky had a phenomenal impact on metal music as we know it, and unfortunately, he is gone too soon. Yeah, and uh, that I feel like kind of leads us into the next, uh, albeit small section of war, mm-hmm. where they had uh, just a, a straight female lead. Yep, uh, we had <sighs> Kim Dyla. Yeah, Kim, um, Kim Dyla, uh, who was Volvatron. Volvatron. Yep. I hate that one too. <laughs> so um, the the thing, but before we kind of jump into that future oh, yeah. bit, um, the the really notable thing, and uh, as I kind of alluded to, there's a lot of Viking imagery that's kind of tied in oh, with yes, Gore. Is what they actually did was at the uh, Gore BQ is uh, Mike Bishop came on uh, and was the vocalist for the performance. Well, they actually gave uh, Odiris Urungus a Viking funeral in Haddad's Lake, which is the location that they typically have the Gorbacue in. Um, yeah, they, they, they sent it off really right. Like, it was actually, like, a really respectful thing, mm-hmm. and just in terms of Guar. Yeah. Like, obviously, the rest of the show, the rest of Guar's set was Guar, as you would know it. Yeah. But um, they, they really did, like, show a, a huge amount of respect, and obviously this man who built them and who was the final remaining member of the original lineup. Yeah. And... 
they just they, they sent it off and the the most gore way possible yeah and, which was fantastic and unfortunately you know without without going down on this tangent is there's a lot of um, troubles kind of in the Gwar camp just because uh, David Brocky or I'm sorry Dave Brocky I should say um, with his passing never really had a will and kind of like a you know here's what to do once I'm gone um, apparently and I and I it was one one source I had seen it but supposedly the ashes of Odirus Arungus went missing um, and it's related to. Not quite. So um, I, I was listening. I actually watched a uh, okay an yeah, interview with uh, it was with uh, Blothar and um, Blothar and uh, Saborg Destructo, okay. which we'll we'll get into him in a minute. Uh, so they had uh, done an interview with uh, No Jumper, which mm-hmm. is uh, apparently a really popular rap podcast. Which, funnily enough, they were on it with not being rap whatsoever yeah. but i it, it was actually a really good interview and i liked it a lot but um so they <laughs> the guy brought it up and he was like you you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to but uh can you like like how's everything going on with dad and whatnot and dad apparently sued them for the whole dictionary's worth of things um the ashes had never actually gone missing it was things that they had said on stage as guar mm. not as human beings and so, like, just like things that like they had snorted them up in cocaine and, and, oh, and things of yeah, that I nature. Did, I did hear about the snorting them with cocaine as yeah. cocaine. So the ashes never actually went missing. The dad was just upset at them, and dad's dead now, so that thing's gone. Yeah, that, that, yeah, they cleared that up. Okay, <laughs> yeah, no, and, and like, and just kind of finding out that that was even you know the case where it was like you know the dad was suing is I thought was very very disappointing. Uh, but that was that was just kind of the side tangent that I definitely wanted to bring up. So it was it wasn't just like you know rainbows and butterflies after the unfortunate passing of Brocky. If anything, it was the exact opposite of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was at that point that uh, Mike Bishop had taken up the role as the vocalist, where he would be. Bl- yeah, so, or after, yeah, so after um, we had Volvatron for a yes. very brief period in 2014, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was kind of supposed to be this cool thing where we had a female lead for Guar, and which was uh, while while we had Slamester Hyman uh, early on, we didn't. She was never like a real lead. She right. had lead parts. And she was a part of the whole show, but they never had like truly had a full lead female member. Mm-hmm. And so Volvatron was supposed to be that. And she got fired super quick. <laughs> Did you hear about the story? I totally forgot this happened, but uh Kim Dyla actually fought Danny Leal from Upon a Burning Body. What? Yeah. <laughs> no? Yes. So I actually had seen the article and I completely forgot this was happened. Was this before or after fake kidnapping? <laughs> Ooh, I actually don't know. <laughs> so, oh God, we got to go over this. So, uh, for those of you who may not be aware, Upon a Burning Body, uh, around the release of their third re- third record, I yes, think, I believe so. Um, is what happened is they, as their kind of uh, promotion for the announcement of this album. Is it was pretty much saying like, oh, Danny, our vocalist, has been kidnapped and he's being held for ransom. And so there was this huge kind of uproar. And then it was just like, no, no, he's not actually gone missing. And everybody was super mad. Yeah. B- um, basically, think of him as Diatatilla. Pretty Anyway, much. go ahead. I, I have to hear about this Volvatron oh, fighting. it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. So the, the account was is 
um, he, Danny Leal at th- this show had kind of been going around and kind of just like aggressively just grabbing, um, you know, the butts of various females in the crowd. And when, pe- when people would tell him to like get off, it's, he's like, Oh, I have sex with better looking women than you. And like all this kind of stuff. So just being a real scumbag. Um, so Kim Dyla came up and uh, I think a lot of this was she had posted to Twitter and she basically was like, yeah, I w- got tired of seeing him acting a fool and fought him. And because he for a while, he would actually wear these. And I don't know if they're, he legitimately wears glasses, but he was wearing these kind of almost hipster glasses mm-hmm. like um and she was like yeah it was the easiest fight of my life and broke <laughs> his glasses so he'll never be wearing glasses again and just going absolutely off and i i think i remember reading the article and at the time i was a big fan of upon a burning body but finding out that danny was doing that stuff and that happened to him i just laughed and i was like this is hilarious that's funny i had no idea that no happened. it was it was great but anyway so she was fired super quick from the band because um there, there's varying accounts on this, but the, the band's stance on it is she was fired due to substance abuse, and she was basically getting blasted before shows, and she couldn't perform drunk. Ooh. And so it was getting in the way, and it kind of just ultimately culminated in uh, she fell during a show and broke a rib, which she claims as she was just trying to put on the show and made a mistake mm-hmm. whereas they also the, the rest of the band was stating that she was getting too drunk for it that's a big yikes. i'm i'm going to leave it at that um, yeah. just because it, like that there are both sides are presented she's upset they're over it mm-hmm. we'll leave it at that yeah from there we have mike bishop come back into the scene now mike bishop used to be beefcake the mighty um he left at various intervals. Um, so he left uh, the first time in 1996, I believe. And uh, that mantle was passed to uh, Casey Orr. Came back shortly after, because uh, I believe Casey Orr had a child. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of weird to think of somebody in Gore having a child. But <laughs> <laughs> so he came back and was in the band again for a brief time. And Casey Orr came back. Casey Orr left again. And uh, Todd Evans joined in. And he was uh, the basis for a little while. And uh, also notably, the kind of mythos behind Beefcake the Mighty, he was very brotherly to Odorous Yorgus until Michael Bishop was no longer uh, Beefcake. Mm. And then it became more of kind of like he was just like this crude, standoffish, arrogant kind of guy. And that that's how he kind of began carrying himself. And that's how he still carries himself to this day. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, Casey Orr leaves the band. We have Todd Evans. Todd Evans leaves the band. Casey Orr comes back again, plays in the next two albums, and then we have Jameson Land, who uh, carried on throughout the the release. Uh, He was a part of both Battle Maximus and a part of uh, Blood of the Gods, which was their album in 2017. He recently left in 2019, and we have Casey Orr again back as Beefcake the Mighty. Casey's been in the band four times now. Yikes. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, <laughs> I can't, man. The, the the lineup changes on this one are rough. It's a lot. There's so many. So, uh, so we have uh, Michael Bishop back as the vocalist. He is the Berserker Blothar, mm-hmm. and they took more in of a, I would say like classic hard rock kind of turn to it. Um, 
I, I feel like Motley Crue, ACDC kind of uh, vibes with um, your thrashier Metallica and yeah. Slayer kind of elements to it. So kind of like cross those two worlds, and I feel like that's kind of what they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of cool seeing uh, Bishop back. He was one of the more original members of the band. Um, not there right at the beginning, but he was there uh, for Hello and... Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty early in. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately with uh, Dave Brocky's passing is that left it so the band had no original founding members, um, which was definitely kind of an interesting thing uh, when I had kind of, you know, seen that in my in my research for this. But the the band all were explaining like, you know, we're we're doing our best to try and continue doing this and trying to do what Dave would have wanted us to do. And I, I have to, you know, I give them absolute mad props for for doing that. Yeah. And I've seen two different counts on it, too, um, where I remember reading an article. If I want to say it was a few years back, but with, with uh, the, the passing of David Baraki, it was kind of just the well, how do we continue? And then there was the concept of making Guar the first 100-year band, Mm -hmm. where even as members grow old and leave or pass away or uh, just quit the band and go uh, pursue other projects, bringing in additional folks to either take on the mantle of that character or uh, design a concept for a new character and basically having Guar last 100 years. Yeah. So that was the concept behind it. I feel like they've kind of changed pace a little bit and they're just kind of in the mode where like, we're just going to keep doing this until we don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. If we don't want to do it anymore and we're just doing it for something that's going to produce less than stellar content. And that's yeah. not what we're about. They, they, they want to produce the best that they can. And I feel like they're going to keep doing that for as long as they really want to. Yeah. Which I mean, they've, they're already almost the 40 years. I, I don't, it, it, it doesn't seem like they're slowing down much. Yeah. I don't think so. I, they're, they're slowing down as human beings. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, no, I, I was listening sure. to the, uh, the interview that they had done, um, with, uh, I think it was alternative press mm-hmm. and they were talking about like, yeah, we have, uh, <laughs> we, we have massage therapists now come and like help us out a little bit before this show. Cause we're old. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and like you're, you know, looking at the the outfits that these guys are wearing, like that's that's a lot of weight that they're putting on their bodies. Plus, they're like, you know, moving around on stage and all that. It's it's going to take a toll. And like I know just because it's a, you know, a a frame of reference, um, but back three, four, five years or so ago, um, James Hetfield was actually on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast before he went completely south. (laughs) But just kind of giving some perspective as to like what Metallica did backstage just to try and keep them loose and limber. And they were kind of having to do the same thing Mm -hmm. because Metallica does have a pretty intense show. No, nowhere near Gward levels, (laughs) but like, you know, the, the, you know, these huge, huge kind of production things. And, you know, they're, they're still moving around quite a bit. And, I think James Hetfield just hit 60-something yeah, recently. He can still move better than I can here, and I'm not even 30. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. But, like, you know, and it's it's completely understandable why they're, they're taking these extra steps to do this, like, self-care to make sure that they're able to put mm-hmm. on the live shows that they, they really want to put out. Yeah. 
Um, but with that being said, we kind of come into present day. So in 2017, they put out Blood of the Gods, and uh, this year they're going to be releasing the new Dark Ages. Uh, I don't know if there's a release date on that yet. Uh, I think it, I had heard June for it. Okay. Um, I will double check on that for you. The new Dark Ages. To the, oh, and it's going to be tied to a graphic novel. Yes, they've been doing comics and graphic novels. June uh, 3rd. June 3rd. Okay, yes. cool. So uh, that'll be something to kind of keep your eyes out for if it's something that you definitely want to listen to. But I think you and I will definitely be keeping our eyes out. For sure. Um, and with that, that, that kind of brings the Gwar Saga to, to a close for now for us. I mean, there, there's so much information that there is, there is out there. If you want to learn more about Gwar, you can... Obviously, listen to their their music. You can uh, go into their movies. Like that's something that I didn't have time to really dive into. But yeah, they have, obviously they have Scum Dogs of the Universe out. They have Skullhead Face, and they also have Phallus in Wonderland, which is a a long form music video kind of thing, uh, which also has a lot of lore into it. Yeah, they have the the video game references that they were a part of. Uh, you mentioned the Beavis and Butthead game. Yep, uh, they were a part of kind of like their own weird standoff Steam kind of game as well. Um. Yeah, there, there is so much content. There's, I think there are 15 different graphic novels and or comics at this that, point. I believe that. Yeah, and it, just, just outside of the music and the movies, they've also done books. They've made comic books. They've made board games. They've made beer, which was the Odiris Ale, um, which I guess was only done for a certain event in Florida from what I had seen. Naturally. Um, they also have a whiskey. Uh, they have barbecue sauce. And CBD, which I saw on their website, yeah. I thought that was kind of <laughs> neat. Um, and I think they actually, I could have completely misinterpreted, but I think they just straight up sell weed on there. So, again, that's pretty neat. Also, you want to know what I found was really funny on their website? Is it the cryptocurrency? The NFT. <laughs> I didn't see the NFT. I the saw the cryptocurrency. I saw NFT on there, dude. <laughs> oh man! Like it, it just it just keeps getting better, and I I can't help but just laugh and yeah. enjoy uh, the silliness of it. One thing I did forget to mention. So I mentioned Cyborg Destructo earlier. Yes. So obviously there was Techno Destructo, who was their original villain. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle, uh, they they they've had a variety of different villains that come across on their shows. Uh, after Techno Destructo was kind of no more, there was Bozo and Saborg Destructo. Bozo was kind of this erratic clown kind of guy, mm-hmm. and Saborg Destructo was kind of the. Uh, it was similar to Dest- to a uh, Techno, yeah, but kind of just a little bit differently advanced. Yeah, and uh, he he is the newest iteration of their enemy nemesis thing basically his concept is he was sent to earth to complete the mission and bring guar back to the master so the master's wanting them back at this point guar is like no we're doing our own thing so that's kind of where the story sits right now and uh, i'll be sure to report back once i see them at the end of may yes I can't wait to see that. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> amazing. Yeah, plus, they're going to be here with Necrogoblicon, who I've seen multiple times, and they're amazing. Goat Whore, which I've never seen, and Native Howl, which I've never heard. Yeah, never heard of him either. But, uh, yeah, so that that really is the, uh, the our conclusion, the Tentacle Bop iteration of the, uh, the Guar story. And right now, before we kind of wrap it up, really quickly, we'll jump into, uh, I guess, the new version of The Hidden Track, where we actually talk about something outside of the realm of music. This is actually the 
second time we'll actually have ever done a segment like this. I think it's third time, actually. The first two episodes, we did it. We and did. And then we're just like, no. Yeah, <laughs> then we just stuck it with music. Um, but Gabe, outside of music, what have you uh, had happen that's pretty cool or that you wanted to talk about? I, it's not really outside of music, but um, it, it's still within the mu- within music. I got a project that I'm I'm starting up here soon. Um, with uh, with a couple buddies of mine, uh, it's it's gonna be cool. It'll be fun. Uh, I don't really want to hash out too many details yet because uh, we're we're still getting some stuff. But we're uh, we're getting ready to record the first single, and uh, it'll it'll be really cool. It's gonna be kind of like in your in the vein of like Doctor Acula and old school deathcore kind of meets southern metal and stuff like that. It's uh, it, it'll be some weird stuff, but it'll be cool. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm a, I'm excited to hear it as well. What do you got, Matt? So I've got two things, and I know this really isn't in your ballpark, um, uh, but I definitely want to to talk about it just because I was really quite excited about it. Um, I recently finished part three of the anime JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. To quote from my favorite podcast. The last podcast on the left. Wee 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 wee. We got an nerd alert. We got a nerd alert. <laughs> God. So, um, j- just as quick backstory, because it- it's actually kind of uh, almost relative to it. But this is actually a manga that was started back in the eighties. Um, and dur- just as it was kind of written, is there are characters that are actually influenced by? actual artist names like one of the characters name is is robert eo speedwagon <laughs> all right that's pretty good yeah I'm gonna lie. So, so like there, there there's a few different ones um i also found out i haven't gotten this far into it but there's actually a character named metallica hmm. and uh one character's named oingo one's named boingo like just a lot of callbacks to that stuff um i finished part three which is essentially what would you you would probably call season three it was really good. I that that was really what hooked me onto that anime. And then the other one I wanted to talk about just before I fall down that JoJo rabbit hole, um, Jujutsu Kaisen, which is another anime, actually got a movie um, that just came out actually about two weeks ago. I got to go see that in theaters on technically the night before release. And that was really good. I'm definitely riding really high on that anime. One of my favorites for sure. I was wondering why you were staring at me, bro. Um, But no, I was, I was, I really enjoyed the, the movie quite a bit. It's the, I think the first anime movie that we had come to the States and perform really well uh, after the Demon Slayer movie. Like this was competing with the Batman, which had come out the same weekend. So it was, I think it put up like 19 million in the box office. So like it, it held up really well and I, I quite enjoyed it a lot. So if you're, if you're an anime fan, I definitely recommend going to check out the Jujutsu Kaisen zero movie. All right. Anyway, uh, so that's going to do it for today's podcast. Uh, we do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Please let us know how you feel about the new format of the show. Um, next week, we'll be coming back. We'll just be talking about some more albums and stuff. We, uh, we won't be doing a full like band breakdown like this. Um, but then uh, the following week, we'll, we'll cover a band again because... We can, dang it. Yeah, honestly, that's <laughs> uh, about, yeah. But you can find us on a variety of social medias. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, and on TikTok, all at Tentacle Bob. And uh, without further ado, we will see you later. Catch you in the next one.